Hey guys, welcome to this week's podcast episode. I'm really excited about today's guest, Justin Foster. He's co-founder and chief strategist, and he's got an amazing story. We're going to talk about branding, business practices, thought leadership, and I'm really excited to delve into the conversation. So Justin, welcome. Hello, Chris. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Um, kind of set the stage, introduce yourself, your background, and we'll dive into the conversation. Yeah, I have a very varied background um, because, well, partially I'm 53 now, so the story of where I'm from gets longer. But the the short version is is that from a career perspective, I've been doing brand strategy for uh, large brands, solo brands, uh, every every kind of brand size in between for over 20 years now. Hmm. But a few years ago, I had kind of a shift of consciousness that was. I think really it, there were there were two events that kind of like tipped me over into where I'm at today. One was George George Floyd's murder. Hmm. Second was January 6th. And I was like there's a there's something going on in society where these skills that I have around messaging and strategy and stuff I couldn't I could no longer do that work hmm. for people that weren't making some sort of direct contribution to humanity. Not that I was doing it with bad people, doing bad things. It just was like, I can't I can't do it this way anymore. So for the past two years, two plus years, I've been focusing primarily on what I call conscious branding or branding from the soul, depending on who I'm talking to, mm-hmm. um, and really focusing on doing all the same stuff I have done for years around messaging and positioning and category and thought leadership, but for a very specific kind of uh business owner, professional founder. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, it's kind of this uh, eureka moment where you kind of decide, you kind of realize that, you know, the system is not designed the way, or it's not working the way it was designed to be. And, um, you know, kind of you have to branch out and do your own thing. And so this type, this concept of conscious business practices kind of expand upon that, you know, what is um, going on, like intentionality, authenticity, and how you create that in your branding strategy. Yeah. So just from a like a general definition of consciousness, it's one of those things that can be very uh, woo-woo sounding. I come at consciousness from the neuroscience perspective. So if you're familiar with like uh, Andrew Huberman or Sam Harris, um, they talk about consciousness the way I talk about consciousness, which is which is the um, the inner work of mindfulness primarily combined with trauma integration, if you are a trauma survivor. Hmm. Um, and so what happens in society um, and all societies, but specifically within um, American culture, is that we become kind of a hologram of what we think we need to be in order for the world to accept us. And that hologram um, is influenced by a number of things social conditioning as a child certainly trauma or violence will condition how you do that do that trauma how you you know how that hologram shows up in the world and most people uh, whether it's for themselves or their businesses their brand is their hologram but when you do the work of mindfulness and trauma integration which i don't do that work for people i can direct them to people that are excellent practitioners that can teach them how to do mindfulness and trauma integration you realize that what you're showing the world isn't who you really are. 
now, so you do that work and you're like, okay, I, how do I show who I am to the world? Well, that's where I come in from a branding perspective. And it's really three things. It's the, your mission. So you, everything's mission centric. What am I here to do? You can say purpose, calling, quest, whatever. I say mission. Second is marketing. How are you getting the word out about who you are and what you do? And the third is machine. I mean, and and that's the practical, pragmatic side of marketing and branding. Being the best kept secret just means you suck at marketing. There's no honor there. So I, when I work with someone, I'm helping them like clarify and and articulate their mission, and then their message and, and their message and how that's going to go out through marketing, and then the machine they need to build in order to be a thought leader. Mm. Um, and that could apply to a solo practitioner professional up all the way up to like a CEO of a big company. Yeah. It's uh it's quite interesting. And then um I love your um the way you incorporate branding and how you talk about ethical branding, marketing, conscious business, brand poetry. You know, we're going to talk about all of these um so what is uh just my for my curiosity is what does brand poetry mean? What is that? Yeah, so it's a term I came up with a couple of years ago because Branding, like like all things in business and life, really, but in business, is sort of half art, half science. And you know, the science side is KPIs or ROIs and digital marketing funnels. And yeah, you need all that. You do need to have some scientific discipline in your branding and marketing, regardless of the size of your business. What happens though is that they people build these machines these marketing machines, and then they wrap them in the most boring language. <laughs> and it and it usually boils down to boring, cheesy, or creepy. <laughs> Those are the kind of the three things or people go to go towards. And it's a, t- it's a sign of insecurity. And it's a little bit lazy, to be honest with you. It's like, okay, I built the funnel. I got my HubSpot set up or whatever, you know, MailChimp or whatever you're doing, or my social media accounts. And they, then they, they, they use what I call bluntly white people language. And it's just sort of safe and vanilla, oatmeal, beige type language. So brand poetry is saying what you really want to say in the most beautiful and eloquent eloquent way. So one of the exercises I do is when I'm working with a client on brand messaging is we do an unfiltered version. It can be full of profanity. They can rage against their competitors. They can cry. So I get all that out on the table, that raw ingredient. And I'm like, all right, let's turn this into a a piece of poetry. And this is not, this is kind of a rediscovery for a lot of brands because you go back to pre-Mad Men era, pre-TV, when TV came on and kind of changed the landscape. Marketing language was very poetic. You look at a Red Wing Boots ad or Stetson Hats or Ford pickups or Ford, you know, Ford motor vehicle, those, they all, the language that they used was really beautiful, beautifully written. And it was no coincidence that early on in the days of print advertising, they used authors and writers to write their copies. So Ernest Hemingway, Louis L'Amour, um, John Steinbeck, they were all copywriters first before they became famous authors. So brand poetry also is a counter to AI generated content, not opposed to AI generated content. It's fantastic for technical content. But brand poetry has to come from your soul. And therefore, if you want brand poetry to come from your soul, you have to get in touch with your soul. 
You have to get inward. You have to go find out what you really, really want to say to the world and make it sound as poetic as possible, which is where I come in. Yeah. Quite, quite interesting. And um, you did mention this um, idea of, of white people language. And uh, yeah. um, and I love that, you know, the someone from the Caucasian side is actually speaking yeah. out against this. Um, <laughs> usually it's um, minorities and uh, you yeah. know, or people of color. But um, why should white leaders leverage their privilege for systemic change? <laughs> yeah. So you bring, you know, people, people don't want like talking about race. And sometimes I jokingly say, I think my mission in life is to make white people uncomfortable <laughs> because I'm a, I call myself a swam, which is a straight white American male. So <laughs> we made the systems that we're in. We did, we did that. Um, we made the systems and then we assumed or expected people that weren't those things weren't those four things to just fit into them. And we called it assimilation or pull yourself up by your bootstraps and, and um, the melting pot. And it's all, I can I swear, Chris? Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. This okay. Is, yeah. So it's all bullshit. It's, it's not really that way. So, so I look for, and I actually, you know, I have a podcast and a, and a whole community called the third way that's around kind of this non-dualistic view of the world is it's, if you're a white leader, you can be in denial or despair. Those have been the two options. So you got white guilt and white denial. And white guilt turns into like, I'm going to go give money away until I feel better. And that doesn't work. Oh, nonprofits and foundations, thank God for them and the work that they do. But it doesn't create systemic change to give money to, you know, to a cause. So um, that leaves a, a leader that's been a white leader that's been doing the work of consciousness which this is where spiral dynamics comes into play, where you start to see the world from, you change you, then you change the world around you. You're like your family or your business. And then you think, okay, I'm going to change the, I need to go out and contribute to the world now. So it's me, we, everyone is the spiral dynamics kind of curve. Yeah. In that, in that process, you then make a choice. Well, it's not going to be despair because that doesn't help anybody. It's certainly not going to be delusion because that makes it worse. Yeah. So rather than apologize for privilege, let's leverage it. And there's so many things that a business leader can do that a you even sort of alluded to it here, Chris, where you said it's nice to hear a, a Caucasian person talk about white people language being boring. That's a small little thing that I'm doing, you know, big deal. Um, but if you're like the CEO of a big company and you decide you're going to get behind something and you put muscle behind it, um, with your brand or your business, it changes the world. And my favorite recent example is a few months ago, we had the pride parade here in Austin and my wife and I went, and I was amazed at all of the corporate sponsors from like old brands, Deloitte and Touche, and IBM and HP, and you know, all these big old brands. I thought, I thought this for a long time, that social pressure and market pressure are the same thing. But the difference now is, is that a as a brand is willing to put their name behind something, behind a cause, a social cause, and it then leads to legislation. So when the Respect for Marriage Act passed last year or the year before, mm. it passed with majority votes, Republicans voted for it too, and but it came from corporate pressure. That's where that came from <laughs> because the corporate pressure to, to politicians is saying, this is unacceptable that we haven't codified this. That is using your privilege for systemic change because that changed the system because it modified and protected the uh, the right to marry whoever you want to marry. 
Yeah. Yeah. Very powerful. Uh, so I love what you're talking about. You know, the next question is, um, you know, this idea of, um, you know, you come from a spiritual back, background. So what is spirituality's role in business? Yeah. So it's one of those, that's again, one of those touchy subjects like race. You know, I, <laughs> I jokingly say I should have called my podcast sex, politics, and religion, you know, yeah. things you're supposed to talk about. So spirituality's role in business is that is is really around the, this understanding, this awareness that businesses are not machines. It's an illusion. It's a leftover kind of model of Newtonian science combined with like industrial age thinking, what I call smokestack thinking. Yeah. Businesses are not machines. They're ecosystems. And ecosystems have a soul. They have an inner world, an inner rhythm to them. When you as a business leader see your business as a machine, you see the people in it as parts and you treat them as such. And you use terms like human capital or as our best asset is our people, which is kind of creepy and weird when you really think about it. If you have the awareness that your business is an ecosystem, you become a different kind of leader because you have basically namaste kicks in. Namaste is the the I, the spirit in me. I, I sees the spirit in you, and what you what happens is is you see souls, not roles. You see the human, and I love how Howard Schultz they he got rid of when he was the CEO of Starbucks. He got rid of the term part time. He goes because they're full time humans, and if you can have this full-time human approach and understand that the people you're working for, they also have a probably unintegrated trauma and they've got, you know, they, maybe they've, maybe they are dealing with a, a, like a sick parent, or maybe they've got aspirations. They want to change the world. And if you become then a facilitator of helping them use their work or their career to express their soul and their soul's purpose, you become a conscious leader in that process. And what happens then is the ROI. You get customer loyalty, you get you get brand identity, you get employee retention, talent attraction, employee retention, and you get the all the KPIs that come with that. And you know, Ron DeSantis came up with the term, if you go woke, you go broke, and that's bullshit. That's not true financially. Is that if you do these things, if you see your business as an ecosystem and you let uh, and acknowledge that there's a spiritual aspect to it, that is basically the people in the business are the soul of the business, it will be one of the best business strategies you've ever done. And there's a whole other answer to this related to the personal spirituality of a leader, which I can get into if you want, but that's how spirituality shows up in business, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, really, really powerful. And then talk, you know, like I said, uh, you know, you were going to allude to it as we kind of end this talk and um, we have a couple more questions. And one thing is um, this uh, idea of, um, in your view, you know, the true essence of branding, how does it transcend just beyond just business marketing, defining branding? Well, your 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 brand is how other people experience you, you, your soul. That's what it is. I mean, we all have a brand. You have one, I have one that organizations we run or own have a brand. So we're not really doing branding and marketing for a product. No brand really is. Simon Sinek talked about this and start with why. I've kind of taken that to the next level and made it more of a branding as a spiritual practice, really, ultimately. And so the idea is that 
what we're selling, if you will, or branding and promoting are ideas, they're concepts and frameworks. This is why I say branding is a philosophy before it's a strategy or a set of tactics. It's yeah. a philosophy of how you behave as a leader, how you behave as an organization, the cultural standards that you have, your standards of excellence for your products and services, your customer experience, all of that stuff all stems from, from that paradigm. And when you do that, when you're having a conversation with the marketplace about what you believe in your philosophy and your worldview, the need for differentiation sort of just takes care of itself. It's not about speeds and feeds or product features anymore. It's like, I want to do, it, it's what I call values alignment. Everybody in marketing is like, what's our value proposition? Yeah, sure. You need that. But more important than that, you need a values proposition. Meaning if you believe what I believe, let's be in business together. Yeah. Yeah. And kind of uh, rounding it out was this um, idea of, um, you know, looking ahead, how do you envision the future of business, especially in the context of social justice, ethical branding, and conscious practices? Yeah. I think that, you know, a business leader needs to have an honest conversation with themselves about what their, their current state of being. And, you know, Mary Oliver, the poet, one of her lines was, what are you going to do with this one precious life? And I modify that for business leaders is what are you going to do with this precious opportunity to lead in a different way? Now, it doesn't have to be systemic change. If that's not your jam, that's fine in the sense of like massive systemic change, like we're doing it massive, um, the company I co-founded. It doesn't have to be that. But if you were to make the decision based off of what are you going to do with this one precious opportunity to lead, it is what would be the behaviors that you would, the, the intentions inside of you and the behaviors that you would have that you would change? And I take this ontological approach of intrinsic, extrinsic, and systemic. Mm -hmm. And if you have some elevated level of consciousness, intrinsically, you know who you are. Extrinsically, you know what you want, what your goals are. And systemically, you, you built systems to help you get that. But if you're a business leader, that, that intrinsic, extrinsic, systemic also has to apply to your culture, to your team, to your company, to the, to the customers. And it really is this holistic view that what you're doing as a leader, if you do the work, inner work, you do these things I'm talking about, is you are here to liberate people so that they can be themselves. Mm -hmm. That's what you're really here to do. You're liberating people. You know, very powerful. Um, how can people contact you, follow you, reach out to you, you know, check out the work that you do? The best thing to do, Chris, is just go to our website, massivechange.co. Um, I'm very findable on social. You just look for Justin Foster. I'm on all the all the socials except TikTok. Uh, <laughs> and I am prolific uh, content producer. If you're interested in more of my writing, you can check my Instagram feed out at Foster Thinking. Um, you can then look for massive stuff from there too. But um, those are the two main ways. And I love this idea of um, just kind of using so social, you know, change and leveraging, you know, privilege and influence to, you know, and incorporating that into your business and marketing and branding efforts. So all of Justin's resources will be in the links and show notes. Be sure to give him a follow like, and then, um, and with that, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for the great question.